Hello, I'm Eddie Temple-Morris. And I'm Nick Hawkes. We hope you've enjoyed uh, the incredible array of guests that we've had so far, from uh, Norman Cook and Gary Newman, through Marianne Hobbs and Danny Rampling, to the likes of Goldie and uh, the DMC's Tony Prince. This time, it's a legend in the drum and bass game, actually, and in the bass house game, mm. DJ in the, Zinc. In the bass game, maybe, let's say. Oh, let's just say a legend. Yeah. Yeah, no, Zinc's great, and um, the, I really enjoy enjoyed uh, this this conversation and uh, there's a lot of great music coming up but it's it's kind of as usual it's a sort of tasters of the tracks you're not going to hear the the tracks in full here if you want to hear them in full deezer.com and uh, you can also find some special trailblazers playlists from us and our guests right there so yeah he's a real character you're going to enjoy this one uh, dj zinc let's begin deezer, deezer. originals Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. Welcome, dear friends, to another episode of Trailblazers. My name is Eddie Temple-Morris, and by my side, as ever, XL and Positiva Records founder Nick Hawks. Together, each time, we light a warm and friendly fire and invite another dance music legend like Nick to chat to us by the fireside to talk about the cultural fires they started and to play some of the tunes that soundtrack their fascinating lives. This week's Firestarter is UK electronic music hero, old school drum and bass legend and more recently breaks and, as he says, crack house supremo. Nick here calls him Ben, but we all know and love him as DJ Zinc. Ben, welcome to Trailblazers. Hello, chaps. <laughs> so welcome. Me, How are you? Let me very, very well. Better for seeing you. Light this um, fire and throw me on it. Is yeah. what you were going to say? <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to light the fire and, uh, <laughs> and hand over as ever to Nick to, to kick the proceedings off. All right, Ben. So thank you so much for coming to join us. Um, really good to have you here. Pleasure. Take me back to the to the start. You're a kid. Okay. You know, when did you get into music? Okay. Um, the music in the house when I was growing up wasn't particularly relevant to what I do now. Let's put okay. it that way. Mm. Uh, although my mum uh, can play the piano and we had a piano in the house, so I uh, played on it, although I didn't didn't get very far. Mm. Um, but I guess that was an in- introduction to music as a, you know, you know, the difference between a C and a G mm. or stuff like that. Mm. Um, and then my mum listened to a lot of, she, she listened to maybe a bit of folk music and right. uh, she's quite religious, so maybe maybe some religious music. So, not not very influential in terms of uh, electronic music, but that's no. that's what was going on in my house. Okay. So, and where was this? This was in Forest Gate, just next to Stratford in East London. Right. Uh, so, when I uh, discovered radio, you can imagine I was quite excited to yeah. be uh, to be given this uh, new music that wasn't, you know, uh, music that I. That, in hindsight, it's pretty rubbish. Sorry, Mum. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so, so you know, I, I, I lived in East London um, and Pirate Radio was available. And it's easy now to forget, you know, we've got all this stuff on demand. You can, uh, you, you can listen to whatever you want, whenever you want, pretty much anywhere in the world. Yeah. That is significantly different to when I was young. And I was so, so, so lucky because I lived in, in London. Mm. And so I turned on my radio and there was reggae, hip hop, dance music, all this, you know, all this stuff. And it was normal. Mm. I didn't I didn't realize that it, it was a pirate. I remember my mum telling me one day, oh, these are pirate radio stations. You're not allowed to listen to them. And I was like worried that the police would come because I was listening to it. I thought maybe they can tell that you are listening to it. And how old you know, were you at that time? That was I mean, uh, that, that, that fear, that moment of fear, I was probably nine or ten, you know, seven. You know, about, around about ten, yeah. um, 
And so then, you, this is very early. You were like into radio really, really young. Well, I, I saved up and uh, I saved up half the money and uh, bought a. You remember them little radios that were about, I suppose, they were about twelve inches, about ten inches wide, and they had a, a one cassette. You put one cassette yeah. in and then a speaker onto the right. Yeah, of it. yes. I, I saved up. I saved up fifteen quid, and my mum gave me the other fifteen quid to have one of them. So, yes. so then I was listening to uh, music, and I was able to uh, curate. Or to decide what I was listening to rather than somebody else, mm-hmm. you know, playing the music. So, yeah, so I think really when I got to more like about 13 was when I found sort of hip hop mm. stuff and hip hop was new then. And it was this, they were putting break beats and people were rapping over it. And it was just a totally new thing. And it's hard to imagine now that hip hop being new. I mean, it was, it was this like revolutionary thing. It's like, this is people saying this isn't music. This is, you know, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I loved I mean, it. Tim Westwood was was one of the trailblazers exactly, right exactly. then. And, and Radio pushing, London, was, I think he was on. He, I, was when was it, it was a pirate. L- I mean, LWR, before that, he was perhaps? yeah, LWR. I think he was on Kiss when it was a pirate. Before that, before I remember having a tape of him. Yeah, you know, and I could hardly afford and, cas- and hardly before afford cassettes. That, he was the the glass collector at Gossips, <laughs> of course. If uh, we're absolutely, gonna, that's <laughs> how far back we want to oh, go. Oh my god! And, and of course, yes, hip hop was 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 a massive challenge to the status quo at the time. It was just yeah. really dangerous, dangerous music. Yeah, and it was. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I was really, uh, I wasn't aware of that. I just listened to it and thought I really like this. Uh, and I think breakbeats, ca- like, caught my ear, mm. and uh, that is, yeah. So breaks, I think was the thing that really caught me straight away with that. So I remember, and samples, you know, samples of like jazz records being uh, over breakbeats and that, or different samples. Like I think that is... Like Sonic or something, that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, I remember there was a one, there was, there was one song that had an Ike Turner uh, sample in it. And right. I just, it just was this new thing. Mm, and it was, exciting. I just, I just liked it. And, and I was like, you know, I, I, so I remember then, uh, and then around about the same time, Electro... Do you remember the the Crucial Electro compilations? Mm-hmm. You know, one of my friends would have the vinyl, and I would we would record it onto my cassette, so I could play it on my little cassette thing. We're <laughs> talking the street exactly. sounds, exactly. Yeah, with, with, a, a, with num- a big number, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and uh, so the first track really that uh, that I would like to play, which is a sort of great example of the. Uh, I mean, now it would sound you know dated, but but at the time it was just revolutionary. It was like this totally different sound. Uh, and this is Nucleus Jam on it, and this mm. is a track, this is just, you know, at the time, it was so cutting edge. Uh, and, yeah, so so this is a great example of what I was listening to when I was 12, 13. Cool, let's check it. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. So that was Nucleus Jam on it, and that is a uh, like I said, great example. That was break dancing. So you oh, could, so if you if Did you, you uh, get the lino out and well, I mean, not really. I, I, I came like I said, I came for escape uh, in East London, and I think maybe we'd get a cardboard box and un, unpack it. But lino was was uh, too the, posh. Yeah, all, <laughs> too luxury. posh for us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I didn't. I, it wasn't. I didn't come from 
you know, the more I've travelled, the more I see what what poverty is. But when I was a kid, I didn't have we didn't have very much money. So, and I remember so stuff like that, mm. or you know, I had a really crap uh, ghetto blaster, mm. and some of my friends had better ones, and I didn't. And at that time, I was aware of the limitations of. Uh, not having any dough. So that was when I, I kind of learned yeah. about that. So, you know, not that it's particularly relevant for this, but that, but but there was no lino. No, no, no spare lino, mate. So you weren't, a b-boy. Lino. you weren't a b-boy because you couldn't afford it, the lino. No, well, I, did, I mean, I did my best. I mean, I wasn't a b-boy because I wasn't really up to it like, physically. But I did have a go, but I think... No, I love um, that little era of music. And, and I think there's yeah. a lot of people that, that those street sounds, electro compilations were really significant it was it was massively significant yeah. it was this new sound there was it was this you know and the break dancing was a yeah. uh, was a sort of a dance was a movement as well that went with it wasn't it graffiti yep. break dancing electro music it was just Wicked. it was like a really you know and these are in the days before the internet and it's just been such a such a big thing you know yes. I, I, I've, I've talked about this quite a lot of time mm. but this is before the internet so you were the amount of stuff you could get hold of musically was really limited. Mm. So I'd get something mm. like, a, you know, that track or, mm. you know, th- these, uh, I had two of the eight Crucial Electro things mm. and listened to them again and again and again and again. And yeah. Again. And, you know, that is sometimes, I, you know, when, when uh, we're looking at our uh, music consumption has changed, mm. People sort of say, "Oh, it's a shame you don't. They don't listen to music like you used to because you used to be. Lim- you, you know, you'd have one album for and um, for a week yep. or for two weeks or a month. You wouldn't have another album, so you would just listen to it again and again. Whereas now, you've got whatever you want when you want. So it's an interesting thing. But in those days, it was really limited. So I listened to those music over and over and over again. And, and read the it. sleeve notes again oh, and again. Exactly, and know exactly. everything about everything exactly. on that, that record. So what records were you going to record stores Saturday this is, afternoons? No, this is um, this is when I was still like twelve, thirteen. Okay. So, so then um, it started to move in. Yeah. So when I, when I left school, I left school at sixteen and uh, went to work in an office in Forest Gate, uh, very low level doing low-level, like, filing and stuff. I was rubbish at it. And I stayed there for eight years and was promoted once. Can't have been that rubbish. I was terrible. I was promoted once. I was promoted once in eight years. It was really... I was really, really (laughs) rubbish at it. It's one of them sort of places where they just can't sack you. Oh, okay. You know, it doesn't matter how rubbish you are. Um, But in that time... uh, But I was working, so it gave me money to buy records. And so when I was 16... Is 16, 17, the Acid House thing happened. And Mm. again, that's that's another cultural revolution i suppose sure uh, i don't want to get carried away but no you know, do, please that. do it was uh you we know, all did at the time so, <laughs> so um <laughs> quite it, literally something yeah. <laughs> but it, you know there was this this thing happened and i was just at that age where i could i could go out to these raves and you know people wearing the, the clothes associated with it and there were some record shops mm. that were selling this music and uh and again because there was no internet the only you'd sit around your friend's house chatting with them about it and then when the shop was open you'd go down there buy records you know what was that pivotal shop uh do you know i used to go to all different ones um i was listening to a track just now which is the first release on reinforced records and that was in sutton in surrey because one of my my friends lived on an estate called shanklin village and i used to go down there quite a bit just to hang out with them and there was a shop next to the station. So I used to uh, do that. Uh, I guess Boogie Times. Yeah, um, Rockford. 
Yeah, what was the one downstairs in uh, Mash, Mash Passion? Okay, yeah, Mash was yeah, on Oxford. Mash on Oxford Street. Street yeah. yeah, downstairs. Uh, there was Unity, yep. uh, Black Market. Yeah. Um, Street, yeah. But yeah, so I used to go to the record shops and spend all of my money on records. And yep. so I didn't get turntables because I could never save up enough because I always wanted more records. And it was like, a, yeah. you know, I think I've got quite an addictive nature and I was addicted to buying vinyl and mm. I wanted to have every tune. So I'd stay up. So I was working, you know, nine to five. Uh, not very, very uh, good, but, but I, that's what I was, you know, I was there. And then in the evenings, I'd go around Trevor's house, my mate Trev, and he and... Um, or, or my mate Scotty's house, and we'd listen to, to music. And then we'd often listen to Pirates if they were on. During the week, they they weren't often on. Mm. Um, but if they were on, we'd listen to Pirates. And if they said the name of the track, I'd write it down. You know, there wasn't... Um, what's this thing called? Uh, you know, Phone? Forgetting it now. Uh, Shazam. There were phones. <laughs> there were phones, but there wasn't Shazam. <laughs> For you know, some of our younger you listeners yeah. Yeah. <laughs> should be aware. There are, yeah, I mean, there weren't mobile phones. There... But there was not. There was no Shazam. No. There was no. no there was no way of. Oh, you, you had to go into a record shop and say, "What's the one that goes?" Yeah, that's yes. it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you did. And they, and you know, they either said, you know, there'd be somebody who's clued up and be like, "That is Shades of Rhythm, Homicide," or they, they'd just look at you and go, like, "I don't know what you're talking about, mate." Um, and I worked in a record shop after a while, so I kind of had yeah. had the other side of that of people coming in and humming yeah. it. Um, but yeah, so so I'd listen to these. Uh, I'd listen to the to the to the radio religiously and try and work out what tunes were. And you know, mm. there would be certain tunes that were played a lot. This is like Sunrise, Centre Force, mm. those sort of days. Yeah, and so, who were who were the influencers? The, the, the who were the broadcasters that were reaching you? Who were the names? Was it um, Colin Dale or like? I mean, I we mentioned think, Westwood. Yeah, I mean, Westwood was when I was like twelve, thirteen, and into hip hop. But by the time I was sixteen, seventeen, I was into the more the rave thing. And I guess it was the Centre Force DJs that would have been the real. And because I lived over that, you know, I lived Forest Gate, and yeah. there a lot of them were the West Ham lot. Yeah, did um, Centre Force, and so it was those sort of people uh, who I would be. Um, Maybe HMS. Remember HMS? Yeah, yeah. There's a few. I mean, there was people that on flyers like all these names. There's some of them that are still going, which is which is quite a feat, isn't it? Quite, but, I uh, mean, quite a lot actually. Yeah, when yeah. you you know. Yeah, you know, like Groove and Fabs and those sort of people. Slip Matt and whatever still. Lot. Yeah, and um, but there were people like. Uh, Aslam Mac, that I did, you know these all these names that I remember like yeah, and I'm, about... I'll never forget. But I, I you don't see them anymore. But these are people no. that I used to hear about and, and um, there was someone called uh, Shadow Facts and yeah. Unknown. <laughs> all these all these names and, and I was yeah. just you know the thing is I, I was in my mate Trevor's house in Forest Gate. We didn't know anyone. We didn't have any connections to any DJs. We didn't know anyone or anything. We just had the pirate radio and so you know in. Like as I've uh, progressed in life and seen ha how <clears throat> some people, some of you know, some of the DJs that I've met, their dads were famous musicians, and it gave them a real uh, foot foot up. And yeah. other people yeah. had this or they had that. Me and Trev was in Forest Gate. We didn't have anything. We didn't know. even have a lino. <laughs> me and Trev, we didn't even. If there's any lino, it's going on the kitchen floor, mate. It's, yeah. not, it's not going in the garden to dance on. Yeah. You know, so me and Trev, we just had each other. Oh. Me and Trev. <laughs> so, um, now, yeah. did, you, did so, you start DJing at this point? Not really, because I didn't. Couldn't afford the I didn't decks, have turntables. Because he yeah. was buying so, so much vinyl. Yeah, so I, I never. All I was doing was doing the, the pause 
the pause button. Uh, so I'd cassette. buy these vinyls yeah. and play eight bars of one and then press pause and then change the vinyl and then do the pause at the right time to play eight bars of the next thing. So I'd make a track that was five minutes long that had eight bars of all different tracks going from one to the other into the other into the other. And um, So you were editing, just really crudely editing? Yeah, doing basically. Edits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On my mum's stereo. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I was buying records. Um, and if uh, you'll uh, indulge me by uh, letting me play one of these, uh, a, a track, you know, of that sort of era. Please of, do. Of, the, of the really early ones, um, uh, I think that one of my favourite, there's a lot of stuff was coming over from Detroit and um, there was, there was, I think it's in, it's an interesting um, time because there's all this music coming over from Detroit, but then there's the, the stuff started getting made uh, in England. At first it was more Detroit, it was Machines, it was you know, like four four. It wasn't so much breakbeat. So I play one of these ones that was um, a good version of that. If uh, here we are, and just to put a pin in the year in the diary. So this would be eighty eight, eighty nine. That kind of this- exactly. This is eighty eight. This is rhythm is rhythm. It is what it is. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. Okay, so that's Rhythm is Rhythm, it is what it is. Uh, that is definitely one of my favourite tracks of all time. And that's mm-hmm. a great example for me, a kind of uh, what I realised when I started making House maybe seven years ago was nearly everything I do is basically a version of that. You know, like, <laughs> there's like a sort of lead noise sometimes, there's does, a bass line. Boom, 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 boom. But well, I, you know, I did actually, I think, I, yeah, I think I mentioned, I, I think I said basically the, the blueprint from pretty much everything I've done. All right, okay. Um, so, uh, but I didn't want to be too explicit in case he asked for 20%. No, know? okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, listening to it, that's for me, it's just the perfect track. And it's and what I love about it as well is that it's the, the, the sort of strings are they they're, they're not perfectly in tune because it's from a an old synth. Everything's slightly out, and mm. not it, not in a bad way, but in a way that mm. is of you know it's it's a great example of that era. Makes it that makes and it, it real. Just, it just has this sort of depth and this well, this sort of vibe to it. Yeah, just, yeah, none of the early you know Gary Newman tunes were in tune. You know what I was just going to yeah, say, and that exactly. was something that Gary said um, when we had him here as a guest. He was the same thing. It wasn't quite in tune. It wasn't quite. Well, they, they, they were, we were We didn't have a tuner. Yeah, we just yeah, tuned just, it by ear. Yeah, just, well, that's it as well. And because all of the machines. We're not tuned to a quartz or anything. You, you tune it yeah. by ear, so everything tune. So it's like a band, you know. When you get a band yeah. playing music together, and the, the the guitar and the bass, and they they tune to each other. Yeah, there is an element of imperfection that gives it this sort of mm. depth and this life. Same as an orchestra, you know. That's why twelve violins sound different to one, you know, mm. because everyone's slightly different, or yeah. and it gives it that sort of. And so this is. A lot, you know, to me, it's got a life in it that is just yes, uh, it does make it organic, soft. doesn't and, it? Yeah. And when you make records these days, are, do you sometimes leave in elements of imperfection where you're like, you know, I know that is not quite right, but it's working, so um, let's just go with it. <laughs> I probably do without without oh, without realizing <laughs> exactly. It's not really. Oh, okay. I'd love to think that I was uh, on top of my production to the point where uh, I was making uh, mistakes on purpose. But I think that no, I, I still use old simps. Yeah, um, and I use hardware. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even if I use a plugin to 
get a bass or a synth or something it goes through hardware and so it then gets artifacts and imperfections through going through the hardware Mm. and i think that it gives it 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 gives it something. Well, you know, I, my humanity. personal my, yes, yeah. that's what that's what I was going to say. It it makes it sound like a human is involved. Yeah, it's something. It's hard to uh, it's hard to explain. What it, it's hard to know exactly what it does. I've tried. You know, I'm I, I'm a sort of person that likes to figure everything out. So you know, there's harmonic distortion. There's all this sort of stuff. It's hard to kind of to definitely know what it does but it does something and you, you know when i think of digital you could make it all in your laptop in theory to me it will sound better and it's cleaner and it's all that but i just prefer it when it goes through the hardware well, it's just all so, binary isn't it humanity yeah, i mean i when you yeah it's, it's tricky though because you know people say keep it analog but then it is digital some of the analog stuff is digital and it's, so it's not always so you know some of the digital stuff had these converters that were really good that, that gave it a certain sound mm. that weren't very good but they just gave it a sound you know it's like vinyl is well that was my next is, question I was going to say where do you stand on on that one of the things I love about vinyl is the the sound of vinyl for example I got a track by TC and a track by High Contrast where they had sent me the unmastered MP3 or mm. you know the MP3 mm. and then I got the uh, vinyl of it mm. and then I and I compared how it would sound if I'd have played a CD or Serato versus, versus how it would play, play yeah. you know, the, the, how the vinyl would sound, mastered vinyl. Mm. And then I got everything I played, I put it through an EQ curve and compression so it sounded like it was on vinyl even okay. though I was using Serato. Yep. And so um, it was, it, you know, I mean, I, I think that there is, there is some mm. great stuff about vinyl, but you can actually replicate that it's just because the limitations you know the bass had to be mono the yep. treble couldn't go too much because the head would get too hot well that's what the you know the needle would get too mm-hmm. hot so they had to really compress the tops and it gave it this lovely silky sound you know um and so i, I was aware of that i remember at the time that i was you know i used to take my vinyl I, when i was djing abroad on the rider it would say zinc will be using serato and then i would take vinyl in case there was a problem yes and when I would, and I remember this, you know, this must be, 50, te, you know, ten years ago, at least. And I remember going, you know, turning up at the airport, and people would say, um, "Oh, great, you did, you did bring your dub plate, fuck Serato." And I'd say, "You, you lot are stupid, man. Like, what is the matter with you? Who cares? Mm. Are you interested in the music I'm going to play, or are you interested in?" I happen to be getting a vinyl or I'm doing, you know, who cares? But anyway, these people did care. And so I would always say, come to the sound check. We'll see, you know, see if you can tell me which one sounds better than the other. And it was just, they just couldn't tell. I'd say, you know, I'd get the same track. I'd play play a dub plate, get the Serato, switch, you know, A to B, A to B. And I'd say, right, which one's which? And they'd be like, "Uh, I don't know. And and so for me, it was this this culture, but cultures change, you know, things move on. And, and, you know, I've never been stuck with a... I mean, like with books, I've got a Kindle. I couldn't care less about books. I care about the words. Yeah. You know, and uh, my, you know, I say to my family when, you know, I have dinner with my, my family every Sunday and I've said that before about books. I'm like, who cares about books? And they're like, ah, you know, <laughs> want to beat me up, you know, between and like <laughs> right. kick the shit out of me. But I think, but but that's, you know, so I'm, I don't care about leaving no. formats behind. It's To me, there's a, there's a sort of central thing that's really important. So let's now, have, have you, 
going back to the chronological timeline, yes. have you actually got a pair Let's of decks Rewind. Yet? Have you got, uh, have you yeah, got a rewind still- noise? <laughs> 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 yeah. So right. you, still, you still hadn't got... You were, you were such a vinyl junkie. When do the decks come into the picture? Okay, well, Trevor... Who is was who is was DJ Swift, but not Mampy Swift, because there was always this confusion over. Okay, there was two Swift, but um, yeah, my mate Trev in Forest Gate, one uh, of them, one of them swifter than the other, presumably the one who was well, Swift first. The first Swift was Swifter, exactly. Uh, Trev, me and my mate Trev, uh, Trev saved up and got decks, but that was it was like a box that had two turntables in it, and yeah. to turn the volume up on the right turntable, there was a twist. Twisty knob yep. and the left, and there was no crossfader. There were just mm. thirty-three, forty-five, and then volume for each one. So you could only mix records that were the same speed or very close, and then twist, you know, twist yep. it with your hand. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's what me and Trev used to mix on. And this was that. So this is around about eighty-nine and ninety. Yeah. Uh, and then the first time I ever touched a pair of Technics. I mean, it sounds like, at the time it was such a big deal, but now I talk, it sounds like a bit of like a weird, like Alan Partridge, first time I touched Um was the first Pirate Radio show I did uh, with Trev, and it used to be me and Trevor every... Which station is this? This was called Impact FM, okay. which then became Format FM. Okay. Uh, and... And this is still in Forest Gate? This was in Clapton, Clapton yeah. Park in right. Hackney. Um yeah, the first and the tower blocks now have been uh, knocked down, but we did that at Hackney Wick, Hackney. Um, it was all, all around that way. The uh, tower blocks were, and so me and Trev went and did our first show. Uh, and well, I didn't even know somebody had sent one of our mixtapes to the station, and so Trev, I'd been, I had a Saturday job as well, and so I just got back from my Saturday job at one p.m., two p.m., and Trev said, "Oh, we, we've got a radio show today. You've got to come now." So I remember, you know, and I had to wear a pair of his trainers because I was wearing shoes and I didn't want to go there in a pair of shoes and look like <laughs> no. a square. You know? <laughs> so I wore Trevor's trainers and he's got much smaller feet than me. So it was, a, you know, it was just a standard. That's pretty, that's pretty business, funny. Yeah. I'm just um, blown away that you managed to do a mixtape on turntables that couldn't pitch. I know, I know. I, did, I tell you what, from there, it's everything there was just easy peasy. Yeah. You got to a pair of Technics and it was like, it, wow. they're doing all the work for you, really. You know, we had been, uh, you know, I think maybe you had one sound lab by then. So you, there was one with pitch and then mm. the other not. And um, the MRT60 mixer, do you remember those? The blue and yellow mixers and they each had like a five yes. pound. This, yes, I do actually. This Thanks. is a, uh, mm. should be on one of those like back to the 80s uh, websites. But anyway, mm. so yeah, so we when I did our first uh, show on Pyra and that was the first time I touched Technics. And so it was... Uh, you know, a big moment for us. And it was yeah. just really, you know, it's just me and Treb from Forest Gate. We don't know anyone. We don't really, <clears throat> we've never played at any raves or, you know, maybe a couple of, ha- we've played at a few house parties, mm. but we don't really, you know, so it was really. Uh, it was big. It was, yeah, it was a big deal for us. And, um, and, what, were and you, you, what were you playing? We were playing, <clears throat> it was 91. So we were playing, uh, this is kind of the, the era when it, it was going from, the you know like the track we just played uh the is what it is yes into more uh uk stuff okay. so the emergence of some <clears throat> exactly break, yeah break A- and one thing that i loved about it um one thing that i really liked was that with the with the detroit stuff i loved it and it was great but it was it, i didn't feel particularly connected to it mm. 
you know, we were talking about Guru Josh, mm, um, we <clears throat> who, who died, but who, who died recently, and his that sort of stuff, the sort of pop dance stuff, mm. uh, and Pacific State, mm. I didn't feel very connected to because it was just, it's like it's like a pop, it's, you know, it's just I didn't have any, I didn't, there was no sort of bridge between me okay. and, and this thing. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I love mm. it. Mm. I'm obsessed with it, mm. but I don't feel any connection. And then there was stuff like shut up and dance came along and this mm. is two blokes from oh, Hackney yes. it's two blokes from Hackney and yeah. um, and this is hold on a sec this is just like people I know this is all of a sudden it went from being this distant disconnected thing to mm. being a thing of like wow okay this is you know even the pirate radio stations I was a bit like I'd phone up the, the number and ask what song they were playing and that sort of stuff but I didn't really feel that connected to it. And then all of a sudden I started to feel yeah. through one way or another uh, more connected with yeah. this uh, stuff. So, um, yeah, there's a, I mean, I could, I could play. Um, Hello. Exactly. I could play, <laughs> I could play you. So, there's so many tracks that I could, uh, that I, could, I mean, I'm just going to choose one from about seven or eight. I could play just from Aeson. There's about a million tracks I could play from this era that are perfect examples, but this is the perfect, perfect, perfect example. This is Aeson, Trip to the Moon, part one. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. <laughs> This is, oh, wow. I know, I know. James Bond bit. It's just superb. <laughs> oh, absolutely superb. Vibes, vibes, vibes. Um, so that is a great example of... Um, yeah, so the stuff I was listening to, the stuff I was playing on radio, it had gone from Detroit, and then that was this was more like a sort of ravey, quite happy bits and pieces in it. Mm. And then there started to be uh, something that was a bit darker, a bit more, uh, I guess, early jungle. I mean, jungle was kind of starting already now with um, Shut Up and Dance, stuff like that. But yeah. this, this, this track now is something by a guy called Gerald. And this is a great, this is a, another example. If you were listening to Defected, Weekend Rush, Round Around 1992, you would have heard this track every single show for about six months. Everybody played it again and again and again. Mm. And again. It's just such a good tune. And um, it's a good example. You know, this, the, the next one I'm going to play, uh, and we'll just play a, a, a bit of it because I don't want to, um, take up all the time playing, mm. you know, this nostalgia uh, mm. thing. But oh, go it's, on. It's a, it's a, you know, <laughs> this is it's, it's a little bit faster. It's a bit darker. It's a bit more like, you know, we're getting into something else now. Okay. And so uh, this is a guy called Gerald. Anything can happen. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. <laughs> So that was a guy called Gerald. Anything can happen, and it was just a you know perfect pirate radio song. Yeah, and like you say, bit dark. something darker was yeah. happening. So we we were in, but we were still in those those glory days of 
um, you, you mentioned Smiley and PJ, Shut Up and Dance, you know, total heroes, people like that taking huge samples. And it was very, the, the music was quite happy you know, with these massive sort of Annie Lennox sample here or, a, yeah, or, a, or a, yeah. you know, whatever it was, I'm raving, I'm raving, or, you know, those like huge, huge samples of, of tracks. But then something twisted and it just got a bit darker. And I'm guessing that your radio show that you did um, in Hackney was reflecting this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'll I, I tell you one thing I remember is um, I, I started playing, when once we were on Pipe Radio, uh, me and Trev started to play at, at raves a little bit, Swift and Zinc, me and Trev, and uh, and I remember playing at a few raves where they would have hardcore DJs and jungle DJs in the same room, sort of, in order to, to get, the because then people were still raving together. But me and Trev were really, not snobby, but we were like, well, maybe we were like oh, this is fucking rubbish happy hardcore stuff man fuck off you know we used to take the <laughs> piss out of the DJs and be not 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 like bullies but just to be a bit like fucking what is this shit yeah and it it was a bit like that you know so I, I remember there being this this it was there was a clear thing where there was the sort of happier pianos the, the sort of plinky plonky thing and there was this jungle thing which was like darker a, a different sort of thing and I was interested in that you know and but you can tell from that track, anything can happen, and um, the breakbeats in it. You know, there was two breakbeats in that track that I love, and the Detroit stuff didn't have so much breakbeats. So mm. I think that that was one thing that I really noticed about how the music started getting faster and breakbeats started to be more um, more prevalent. I think that that appealed to the hip hop thing that I'd. It, it sort of went back to that for me. So, because yeah. because of course, it, a lot of it was based on the Amen break. It was, yeah, and, and it, that was you know yeah. that was a bit later. I think, but at this time there, there was there wasn't so much Amen stuff. It was more all different break beats. You mm. know, uh, I'm gonna I'm not meant to eat and a biscuit. The, am I while I'm talking? And every, talking everybody about. who was making records at that time, you know, had grown up on mm. those the hip hop records, yeah. and that was why. Ben said he felt more connected to it. Yes, because it reflected, you know, these are just speeded up breaks from records that we all knew from from just a few years before. So exactly. You, so, Ben, you, you're on the radio in this in pirate thing and yep. you've got the knowledge and you, you've got the skills and you're, and, you're, and you're DJing. So when what was the junction at point at which you thought, you know what, I can do this, I'm going to make a tune? Well, it was kind of, it was kind of the, the done thing, I guess. It was like the sort of obvious path. Uh, I remember being up on Pirate Radio and there's a, a bloke, I think it was called Mike Ash, and he did this mashed EP on uh, Moving Shadow. And, you know, he was he was just a, a, a bloke who was in there, but, but me and Drew were like, wow, there's, you know, you know, like uh, as Nick did the, the bouncer shit. If I'd, if I'd have met Nick, when he did the bouncer tune, I would have been in, you know, I mean, I'm in awe of him now and I'm very, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got a lot of time for him, but back then I would have been like, you know, like fucking with Jesus or something, you know, this yeah. is, cause, uh, because, because, you know, nowadays you need a laptop and, a, and uh, you know, time to look at tutorials. You can make tunes. But in those days, you even had to know somebody, you either had to have your own studio which was outrageous. I couldn't afford Lino. Come on, mate. Yeah. You know, and so you either had to have your own studio or you had to have an ac- access to a studio. And I didn't have either. So it, there was, again, there was no bridge between me and, and this other thing. And um, then I started doing pirate radio 
And all of a sudden I would see some, you know, and here's Mike Ash, he's got this thing on and there's the geezer and it's, and he can't actually walk on water. He's a normal bloke mm. and he's, he's, he's managed to work it out somehow. And, um, so it became more like, this is something that I can do. Mm. And, um, so Busy B was a DJ on the same station and he had a studio. He had a really basic studio. And he said to me, if you drive me to Tasco's warehouse, because I had a car, I had a mini Metro was, yeah, smashing it back then yeah. <laughs> in my green Mini Metro. And so and he said a pair to of me, trainers that fitted you by that point. I did. Well, still you know what? I did. I did. I didn't, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't wear Trevor's trainers. No, I didn't wear Trevor's trainers to drive always to no. for radio. Okay, it right. was just the first show. Oh, okay, fine. Glad um, we cleared that up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine if they'd been like my lucky trainers. Now I've got to wear them. I've got to wear them. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you're in agony. It'd been like a sort of fifteenth-century Chinese woman exactly. or something, well, you know, tiddly feet bound up. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So Busy said to me, "If you drive me to Tesco's warehouse to give out some promos, I'll let you use the studio for four pounds an hour." <laughs> <laughs> Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But that is exactly what he said. And I was like, "Off we go!" You know, let's go Tesco's. And really, I would have driven him there for nothing because we went into Tasco's warehouse without paying. This was a this was a, a rave warehouse venue in Plumstead that was, you know, somewhere that I would have gone and paid to get in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're turning up there. He's walking to the front of the queue. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm busy. B, I've got to give some promos to the people. These guys are with me." And they're like, "Yeah, cool, go in." We were like, "Wow, mm. this is amazing." This is this is the same story as the prodigy story where like the guys would have been paying to go to those raves anyway yeah and being in a band that we're getting booked well great well that means that we don't have to pay mm. to go to the raves yeah how brilliant is that <laughs> yeah yeah same, i mean it's, 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 it's a, that's pretty much my whole job it's like i'm now I make music. I would do it for nothing. I love it. It's like a hobby. And then yep. someone says, and there's some money. It's like, oh, okay. I'm not going to argue, but... Yeah. You get paid for this? really? <laughs> um, anyway, so so Busy said that. And uh, so I drove him to Tesco's warehouse. We went in Tesco's. It was really cool and exciting. And, and we got to go in the studio. So it was we booked it like four weeks in advance. So I had four weeks to get my samples together, mm. work out what break beats I'm going to use, get an idea of what I'm going to make this tune. Um and and nowadays I'm aware that I don't have that four to six weeks thinking period before I make a tune because I've got a studio. Basically on my phone I can make a tune. I, I can make it on my phone, my laptop. I've got a studio in my house. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I can you know do a rough uh, track. But yes, yeah, so I had like four to six weeks to sit there, think about I'm going to do something like this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I think it's really uh, valuable to have that uh, time away from a studio. Um, so me and Trevor went to Busy's house and, uh, we made Swift and Zinc volume one. And, um, yeah, so, so we did that and we put that out and it, and it did all right. You know, we sold, well, you know, I, I at the time we were like, oh, it's done all right. It sold 1200 or something, you mm. know, it done all right. It wasn't very good, but it was all right. And then, you know, Swift and Zinc volume two, we sold, it was all right. We did about three and a half thousand final. When you say you but put it, it out... Would, it's easier said than done in those days, isn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, it was. There were there were hurdles, and the biggest one was not having a clue what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, busy was helpful, and we. He had a label called Brain Records, and I didn't want to. I, I mean, uh, I don't know how I had this uh, in my head at this point, but I wanted to do it on a label that I sort of was in charge of, and not let him do the sort of put it into his schedule and all that sort of stuff. 
so I said to him, can we do it as brain progression? So it's like a sort of, he he, own, he owns it, but we will, you know, he, he basically owns it and it's using his uh, setup and his, pro- his, so his distribution. Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be, but it will be our little offshoot. So um, he was like, yeah, cool. And so uh, we did that. And so and then I'm going to play you a track now, which is, this is Swift and Zinc Volume 3. And I think that, I think that this is one that we did. At, I can look at the label actually because someone scanned the label. Um, engineered by Busy B and Swift and Zinc at Brain Studio. So yeah, this is a Busy Studio in Leytonstone in his uh, cellar with his crazy dogs. <laughs> and uh, so I'll play this. This is called Swift and uh, this is called See You Sweat by Swift and Zinc. This is AKA Ben and Trev. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. What a history. Yes. Trailblazers DJ Zinc. Want to hear more of the music? Don't forget, you can listen to the tracks in full by heading over to Deezer.com, where you'll also find special Trailblazers playlists. Deezer. Deezer. Originals. Trailblazers. What a lovely beeline. What a yes. great bit of history. That, that beeline is just the, the tone, the sub that comes straight out of an S950. It just had this, uh, you know, a sine wave in it. And... Uh, yeah, felt a bit sort of uh, basic at the time, but actually works, you know, who cares? Yeah, that's such a rich sound. Love yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, that was See You Sweat by Swift and Zinc on Brain Production Records. Your third your third outing. On, yeah, on yeah, Brian. yeah. So we did that for a while, uh, me and Trev, and we got up to Swift and Zinc Volume 7, I think, and then we had a track a release on Sub Bass. Um, suburban Bass. Suburban Bass Records. Run yeah. out of... Boogie Times exactly. Rom- in Romford. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a, a, a single out on Suburban Bass. Um, and then, okay, so in these days, uh, yeah, so I remember actually one of the Swift and Zinks, I remember, and now I used to go to, at this, at this time, I was working in Forest Gate still. And, uh, the you still at that job that you hated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, you had an income to buy all this, to, exactly, all the vinyl exactly. stuff. And so there was a record shop in Forest Gate. Actually, I mean, I worked in that place for eight years, and for the first maybe six years, there was a record shop in Forest Gate that sold pop music, but also had some dance stuff. And I, I used to go in there every day at lunchtime, every day. And it is like there was a there was a comedy film or something, wasn't there? Like in, a few years ago, and it, and I, I imagine it was just like that because it was these blokes, you know, having a cup of tea, and we'd take turns to make the tea and all that sort of stuff. And it was, but it was, you know, it was, it, they were nice blokes, and they sort of. They used to, I remember, you know, they'd try and get these records for me, but they were not in the rave scene at all. So I was interested in this stuff and these blokes were just, you know, they were interested in pop and that. So I used to go there every day and then The Underground opened and The Underground had DJ Randall worked in there who Mm. was like this legendary local, he's from Forest Gate as well, so he's this legendary local bloke who's doing, I remember talking, you know, discussing with somebody, Danny Brakes, about, you know, he, he was saying, oh, Randall's playing in, you know, so and so tonight, and then he's playing so and so tomorrow, and he and then he sort of said about roughly the sort of fee he would be getting, and I was like, wow, this is that's what I get in a week. You know, it was just I was like, this is unbelievable, and um, 
So anyway, yeah, so Randall used to work in, uh, in, in the underground. And another thing that he used to do, he would, he would be playing the records. You know, when you work in a record shop, you play the records. He would mix from one to the other, but he wouldn't touch the platter. He would just do it with the pitch. And we would be looking there like, no way. <laughs> he just mixed that without fucking touching it. Can you Whoa, believe it? He was like, yeah, he was just like, <laughs> and we were like, wow. And um, I, I had a wow moment once on the mix front, not in that era, a bit later. This guy, Michael Kilkey, used to play at the tunnel in, in Glasgow. Um, and he what what impressed me about him, a couple of techniques, but like generally he'd like get it in and then he'd just be flicking through his record box, not even looking at, at the deck and just a bit of that, you know, slow it down. <laughs> yeah. You know. The, the, not not looking at just I remember, that, I remember that was on Pirate, like, yeah. there were some lads on Pirate and, and they used to when I was doing the Pirates their, their sort of uh, this thing they used to try and do was one of them would get it in, in the mix and then he'd go to the loo come back and it'd still be in the mix and oh. we, were like, we were like this this is a reefer and somebody else these two blokes like 91 right. you know this was so impressive and um, anyway yeah so um, Randall worked in this in this shop and I used to go in there in my lunch hour and buy records uh, and I remember uh, the underground was quite a big record shop for, you know, Cool and Flex work there. All these people that were sort of big rave underground producers, um, Uncle 22. Uh, and Hype used to go there sometimes. And uh, he went there. I remember, he, I think he was there or I saw him in Boogie Times and I gave him a copy of Swift and Zinc Volume 6 or Volume 7. Uh, and then I saw him a few weeks later and he said, oh, yeah, that tune you gave me, I played it in Germany. Baseline's shit. So I said, uh, okay. And I was surprised that he's uh, can, you know, quite pretty uh, uh, pretty direct. And um, so. <laughs> Not very constructive. Yeah, he was like, basically, I was shit. So I said, well, um, uh, how could it be better? So he was like, well, if you'd have done this and this and this. And I was like, I'm fucking all ears, mate. I'm all ears. And so, you know, I then went away and did some of what he said and wait till next time I saw, you know, or, or got his number and then tried to do what some of what he'd said and then got, gave him the results. And I think that was the results were the thing that went on sub base. And he was like, yeah, this is a bit like it and da, da, da. But he really helped me um, to, I was really influenced by him in terms of the sound. Because at that time I was, I was kind of more into the book of me musical stuff like that. Um, and then intelligent stuff. Yeah, the the, the um, don't let any in the jungle, lads. See you say that. The intelligent <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah, I was I was kind of I was I was into a mixture of all of it. Um, and I used to go around Bookham's house. I was friends with Bookham and uh, used to hang out with Peche and that sort of stuff. And I was into that 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 stuff. But when when I like the way hype was really hands on about how I could improve what I was doing, I was really I was like, mm. great, you know, tell me more and. Um, so then, so I did a few things and then after a while I did Super Sharp Shooter. Um, and I was, I did that, the original, uh, I remember Danny Brakes had just done, um, a track and he'd sampled Method Man, I think, or Red Man. And so he had done that. And then my friend Colin Francis, who's now the sort of big Ministry of Sound DJ and all this stuff. This, so in 1992, I was engineering a track for him in... Trevor's house now because because me and Trevor with Swift and Zinc Volume Two we bought our own studio stuff and then we started doing so I remember engineering for Colin Francis uh, you know working on a track for him and he was using hip hop um, in that as well and it kind of you know I just got the samples together and did the original Super Sharp Shooter and 
Um, and I, you know, I remember playing it to hype and saying, "Oh, what do you think of this?" And he was like, "Yeah, it's cool." And then a couple of weeks later, he said, "Oh, I'd like to put it out on Ganja." And I was like, "Over the moon!" Hmm. Because, you know, I thought this is great. This is really, you know, really, really good uh, thing. And so that was how I started working with hype. And he was already working with Pascal. Um, and so uh, for a while, I put out some tracks uh, on Hype's label, Ganja Records, and on Pascal's label, Frontline. Um, and Super Sharp Shooter, the, the remix of Super Sharp Shooter was the one that is the the better known one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can... Let's hear it. And when you can, say remix, was it you that remix? Was it, it was, you guys? Yeah. Or, or, uh, it was my mix of my track. Uh, so so I, di- I did the... I did the original and then I did um I did the original and then I did a remix of it you know like I I did a a fresh a, take a yeah, I thought yeah. I want yeah I want I want yeah. and that became the definitive version that became the definitive version and it, I think at the time I don't know if it's if if people do it so much now but at the time you would there were lots of I don't know if the track did quite well. You'd do a remix. You'd do a VIP. It was, it, yeah, you'd do a VIP or you'd do a remix. It was pretty yeah. much, you know, I don't know if it's to sort of milk it a bit more or if it's because there was a lack of, I don't know, I don't know why, but I, I don't know for whatever reason. Um, that's the sort of uh, culture that I was in. So let's and, play. And it's, oh. I was just going to say, not that unusual that the that somebody makes a track. And then does a second version, of the, course, yeah. and the neck, the, the 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 version that follows becomes the absolutely the definitive yeah. version. Yeah. So yeah, just another prodigy one. That's the case with Charlie. Actually, the the alley the alley cat mix is the you know the sort of definitive version with like the the mentasmic, but then that was the the second version. Yeah, 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 exactly. Same thing. So uh, cool, right? So let's uh, yeah. listen to that. Let's hear it. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. So that was Super Sharp Shooter. Never um, going to get bored of that. The track that changed my life. Oh, I my mean, God. I don't, uh, don't want to sound gushy or anything. Well, let's let, let ask Gush then. That's one <laughs> of the best, that is one of the best tunes ever made, ever. That is just, oh, my God. It's just, oh. No, brilliant. I can't even, I can't even find words. It was uh, nice, let me ask you nice something. how it came together. So, yeah, but how, so how I mean. did it come together? So obviously you've got a method man. And then, so who yeah, I phoned him up. I was like, "Meth, do us a favour." No, I mean, <laughs> so, this is all samples, you know. Yeah, and so, and was the was the your alphabet honor. bits? Was that LL Cool LL J? LL Cool J, yes. And your, your, no, Your Honour. <laughs> <laughs> and that so, was that was Trev. And so, yeah, that was Trev. He's all Trev yeah. pretending. To, <laughs> how did you, there is a version of Super Shot Shooter where we got Pascal's friend to redo the uh, Method Man bits because it was for a sub bass compilation because we didn't want to, you know, because we did, we wish we we thought that is going to be hot. And it's going to be a problem. Not hot as in good, hot as in we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and and how did Super Sharp Shooter come to get, like, how did that, the whole concept of it, like, where did it come from? Um, it is from a UK hip-hop acapella. Um, I think it's called Reverse the Hearse. Um, and the bloke said, you know, in the thing it says it's a Super Sharp Shooter shooting shots. Oh, yeah. I just took it and, you know, and... and uh, cut it up played it yeah and yeah. it just you know the thing is that it, 
with it, you know that track really did change my life and and basically because of what i was doing in that, in that um you know that track and the the ready or not the food you sing i i left the uh eight year mm. you know my, my eight years <laughs> was up. Yes. <laughs> it was a sad day you know i, I did a uh, very sad when i handed in my notice like not at all I was fucking over the moon i was like yes i and don't have to do this anymore did it explode straight away well the thing is i'm quite a i'm a i'm, I'm quite a granddaddy sort of a dude in so i waited until i was definitely able you know i was really mm. definitely cool money wise mm. because i thought because if that went wrong there, I didn't have anything else to fall back on, so I waited. But you know, I, there was a situation. There was a, there was a period of time where, on a Friday night, I'd be going to Germany to DJ, and you know, I'd come in on a Monday morning and, and they'd be like, "Hello, Ben. How was? Yeah, did you have a nice weekend?" <laughs> and I, like, yeah, you know, and th- everybody was. It was just like a little office, and everyone had been watching the TV and that. And I'd say, "Oh yeah, I went to Germany." They'd be like. Come on, Ben. Where you know? It was it was a bit. It was, it was like weird because I was in this really boring, crappy office, and yeah. but was then doing these quite cool things. Um, and so yeah, so so I did Super Sharp Shooter and that, that remix, and it was re- popular. And at the, you know, I didn't know at the time. I didn't make it and think, yeah, this is going to be big. Or I didn't. I just thought it works and I like it. And and um, but yeah, so it so it did well. And hype liked it, and Pascal yeah, liked, hype liked it, it, and. Then, and um, yeah, so so, and then around the same time, I did the the Fuji's Ready or Not remix. Yeah, um, and that was, um, and, and you know, there's a that, there was a lot of there was confusion. A lot of people thought that hype did it, but I did it. But he he helped with the the baseline. Had a different baseline originally, and then I played it to him, and he was like, "It's good, but it'd be better if the baseline was more like Hello Lover, which was one of his tunes." He mm. said it'd be better if it was like that sort of thing, and so I took it away, redid it, took it back. And he was like, "Yeah, this is this is cool." So, so he was effectively A and Ring you at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Executive producer. I mean, if you look on the records at the time, we used to write executive producer did mm. you? because it because he was influential in the the stuff. He, yes, you know, I he remember. wasn't just didn't seeing that. Yeah, and so and that's what it was. You know, I I I I was I was I I, I wanted that to be on there because I thought it's fair. You know, he's having a lot of influence. So fair play if, if people if he gets recognition for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I did the Ready or Not remix um, around the same time and because of those two tracks, um, you know, I started to get my name out for DJing and so I was able to leave my office job. You say remix. Was was the Ready or Not one an official remix or just a bootleg? It was a bootleg. Yeah, I thought it was. Your Honour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 won't, I won't keep saying that same joke. But um, it was, yeah, um, my friend gave me, uh, I got it off my... F- friend from germany who had a, a copy the cassette to cassette of it so mm. i sampled that so the ready or not remix is just sampled from a cassette wow yeah so i don't even know if it was out in england when uh, when i got it from him he was like a really cool dude in germany who ha- used to get all this music and uh so i got a copy of the, the fuji's uh, mm-hmm. album off of him mm. so yeah so i did that remix and um that was popular and around that time you know it just happened that the sort of stuff that I was making at that time was what was popular and so so you know, the, the sort little, of the vinyl, a moment the vinyl sales of stuff like yes. this then it then we're in the we're in the tens of exactly, thousands yeah. where yeah yeah so with the with Super Sharp Shooter I think we did like 12,000 and then it got signed to BMG and yeah. they did they did however many they did so something like that 12, yeah, 14,000 um and the yeah so so and that was more that was like fuck, fucking you know 
compared to nowadays, you know, and we were like, oh, it's okay, it's done 12,000. And it's like fucking great compared to nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, and, I, rem- and it, well, I was at Radio 1 then and I remember the, the BMG and I was aware of you because I, I was going to Metalheads and, and uh, you know, Jungle was my like, entry point mm. into dance music. And mm. I remember bringing this record and I'd heard it in clubs. Mm. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, it's really like in a city life's happened, you know, is, is, is uh, I can't remember, was that? Yeah, that had happened. And, 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 and suddenly... Like Zinc, Pascal, Hype, they're, <laughs> they're on BMG, man. This is yeah. huge. Like, this is, this is absolutely massive. Yeah, it was an yeah, interesting time. It was an, it, you, you're <laughs> right. It was a, a moment, and that was my Adam F when I signed Adam then to yes. essentially to Positiva slash EMI. That would have been around that zone. I'm, yeah. Yeah, all the majors came in and, and wanted to sign, a, you know, whoever was able to deliver half decent album I guess yeah is, is, is what it adds up Ronnie to Ronnie's size on Ronnie, Talking yeah. Loud yeah I mean he delivered an album didn't he oh, yeah he did well, yeah. Mercury yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. so then you became the Ganja crew you know you, you just kind of solidified yeah, together I never really smoked weed I never really smoked weed Hype's, Hype used to smoke weed yeah and he had Ganja records so we called it Ganja crew but yeah. I, I was never really uh, never really into smoking weed uh huh Sorry about that. Yeah, well, yeah, Trade description. Another, another stereotype <laughs> red, shattered. Red card. <laughs> Me neither. Red, red card. Red, red card. Um, <laughs> uh, fair play, mate. Weed smokers crying, you know, bastard. <laughs> I thought he was one of us. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, you've broken some hearts there. <laughs> definitely. Stoner's hearts. <laughs> Corrupt FM. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, so I did the, the, the Ready or Not. And then, and then we started True Players. And so... Um, and that was, was, did we do that after the, I think it was about the same time as BMG thing. We started the label, True Players. Um, and again, vinyl, we were doing 12, 15,000 of each one. And that was not bad for a label at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, in hindsight, it was great. To be fair, the moment, la- it was more than a moment. Because actually thinking about it, the Adam F thing was later. And some of this stuff was, this was sort of what, it kind of happened between like 95 through to... yeah. 97 yeah 97 yeah it's a couple yeah. of years of moment yeah the 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 um the the, the ganja crew the the bmg stuff I, I like i was never really that engaged with that i think it's fair to say mm. um but the players label i was very uh engaged in that i'm mm. more into I, like i just for some reason i'm more interested in underground independent music um and so uh so I'm, I'm trying to think what the BMG releases were. And I can remember there's one called Fuck the Millennium EP and other stuff. But yeah, so the Players label started, I think, in 96. And um, me, Hype and Pascal we used to release our music on that. Um, and yeah, so that was when ju- it was getting a bit more, when, when Jungle was kind of getting more into drum and bass. Yep. Um, so I, I was never really, I, I, did, I, I did some tracks with some ragga samples in, but I was never really that into Ragga enough to be able to do it with authority or, you know, to, mm. to know what I was doing where Hype did more stuff like that, where he, that was more of his sort of background. Mm. Um, but yeah, so then the music started getting more into sort of drum and bass kind of stuff around 97, 98. Um, and yeah. So is so, this where you started getting feeling disenfranchised by it or, or with it or something you, you started feeling well did you did you start feeling um because there was there was a point in your life when you I'm just googling what disenfranchised oh, okay. so, <laughs> did you feel uh, did you feel um 
like that you that, that you were becoming more distant from um, what other people were doing in drum and bass, and therefore you felt no, like no. you weren't so such a part of it. Because no, no, no. what, what, um, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is come on, Eddie. Is what is what made you become? What made you sort of leave that genre or, or, ah, or that okay. sort of, what that made you kind of like it didn't happen for a little while yet we're going to get there we're going to get there <laughs> okay. uh, although, but you did but in a few years you did start to morph your sound didn't you and you yeah. might sort of yeah the music was getting more like I guess more like drum and bass now this is Ed Rush and Optical appeared on the scene there's been I think like with that with a uh, jungle and drum and bass there's some producers come along now and again who kind of give everybody a kick up the arse or mm-hmm. sort of shape the sound a little bit. And um, Ed Rush and Optical were a good example of, you know, Ed Optical was and is a very good engineer. And compared to us, like, he was sad, you know, he was like sort of doing stuff that we hadn't really thought about doing. Right. And there was, a, I think there was competition without it being really uh, obvious with stuff like what we were doing in Full Cycle. I remember DJ Dyer saying to me, he made... Uh, clear skies after he heard yeah. reach out and which i never knew at the time and i used to love clear sky so it's so nice that he said that mm. um, and there was loads of tracks that i listened to their tracks and then went and made something mm. influenced by it so um this was like 97 98 and i did tracks like reach out on uh players and stuff like that and then in 1999 i think it was um i wanted to do an album I went to do an album. I remember Hype saying, no, just do an EP, don't do an album. And I can't, I can't remember why it was. but uh, So I did an eight-track EP. Um, and I did... The, the, the tunes on it were all right, and they did, they did pretty well. But at the, end, the, the, the eighth track was 138-track. Mm. And so w- what I did was... It, like, I was doing drum and bass at the time, and I think we had done a, a track... On, the, on a BMG EP where my brother had played drums mm. and we had done it at 138 BPM, I mm. think. Mm. So I'd already kind of been aware. Dabbled. Or, yeah, dabbled a little bit. Mm. Um, but I thought, I'm just going to put a track on the end of this EP that is going to basically show versatility. It's just mm. something like a little mess about um, right. do something else. Yep. And so I did that. And when I did it, I sent it off to a few breakbeat DJs. I thought this is the breakbeat DJs will play this, but I didn't think the UK Garage would. Mm. Um, so I sent it to a few of them and some people like Klaus, who I don't know if you know Klaus, he... Heavyweight Hill. He, he, exactly, yeah. So he he played it. He said, hey, I really like it. And um, I didn't really think anything more of it. I just thought, okay, cool. Uh, and then people like Slimzy started playing it um, and Genius and Slimzy. Uh, and they, some of the UK Garage... Um, DJs were fitting it in with the UK with the with the UK garage sets, and um, and it started to get popular within that that scene. And breakbeat it started to pick up as well. Mm. And um, yeah, so it's it's so it, it started to uh, have a life of its own. This track. Um, so and from, and what, did it end up being bigger than any of the other tracks? Yeah, it did. So yeah, it's the yeah. classic story of like, hey, well, just that this is like the last one. Did this little weird one on the weird end. Weird one on the end yeah. ends up becoming absolutely. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. So ever since then, I've been putting weird ones in, and it hasn't happened again. But I'll <laughs> keep trying. Don't worry, I will keep trying. I'll I vaguely remember. Didn't Aston and Matt freestylers support you massively back in those days and freak nasty people like that? Yeah, I think that. Um, Particularly once I started doing those first bingo releases, all of those guys, you know, it, it fitted with what they were doing. Um, so I was lucky that I kind of, it kind of fit within two scenes, the breakbeat yeah. scene and the, the, the garage scene. Yeah. 
Um, so we, we should listen to it. Oh, yeah. We? You ready? Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. Started to to <laughs> redefine yourself musically, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't a conscious thing. It was, I was just putting a you know a track on the end of an EP hmm. um, as a mess about really, but it done it did really well. It picked up a lot of people were playing it. Uh, it got signed by Azuli, mm-hmm. um, and and you started GQ to... put a vocal on it. It went top forty. Oh, yes, of course. Um, so yeah, so th- so that was another one that changed my life, um, and. After that, I did uh, a few more tracks in the same vein, uh, like one called Hold On, Go DJ. That kind, was great. Kind Go of DJ funky, is fantastic. Kind of funky. Uh, hello. So these are the... Hello. Is it Lionel or is it Adele? No, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I did them, I did them tracks uh, on Bingo and then... Um, so, so you that had, was yeah, you had 2001, started, 2002. So Bingo had been going for a few years now. Uh, it started in 2001, I think. 2000, right. 2001. And that's just you? That was just me on my own, yeah. So now the, the, uh, you're, so, you're a label runner focused yeah. on... Yeah, at what point did you stop looking inwardly and start looking towards other uh, other people and, and towards developing talent and being your, uh, being an A&R yourself and, um, and getting talent? I think um, when I was... When I was on players, I remember there was a few times where there would be tracks that I liked and hype didn't like, or vice versa. And I think I was starting to get my own sense of what I was really into. Uh, and there was, a, you know, so there was a couple of tracks that I thought I'd, I, I would put this out if I had a label, and I didn't have a label. And so mm. then when I did the one three eight trick, it seemed like a sort of good point at which to start doing my own thing. Uh, and you know, hype had. Ganja Records and Pascal had frontline records, so yeah. it felt like it. You know, it's it's okay um, to do that. So I so I started doing that, and um, I think the first I think that the first uh, act that I signed um, was Chasing Status. I think I think they're the first one. <laughs> That's what I love about this show. That's what I love about this show. We got Mike Pickering in here, and and I find out um, to my absolute astonishment that he'd signed the Happy Mondays, and mm. same. With this, I had no idea that you were the first person that was on Chase and Status. Yeah, I think they might have had one release before or something, but this is one of the certainly one of their earliest ones. But um, this is I play I played the track that I signed from them. This is called Wires Up, and this was uh, on it was is on Bingo. Uh, Bing, so here we go. This is Chase and Status. Wires Up. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. <laughs> Oh, so Chasing uh, Status on Bingo yes. Beats. Yes, Chasing Status on Bingo Beats. Yes, so I put out their track and uh, Brocky did a, uh, a 138 BPM thing that I put out as well. Brocky. Indeed, yes. And uh, I just can't go into a supermarket and look at 
broccoli without saying <laughs> broccoli. 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 <laughs> <laughs> just can't do it. I'm can the you? same. So, how did you find that? How did you come to sign Chase and Status? Um, I think that I was at a forward night, forward club night, and they had a dub plate of it and they gave it to me. So, mm. they, uh, I guess they were. Influenced. Were they still? Like yeah, it has it. your house style, doesn't it? It's very, it's very yeah. Bingo Beats house style. Yeah, there was a like at that time. I kind of I I'd you know come across this style or done this thing that, that um, and and done a few versions of it. So there was a few other people that were kind of influenced by it, I guess, and doing their own take on it. And, and they so were what's... sort of just out of uni at that point, I guess. Uh, yeah, because two thousand three. I think that, that this is before they was. This is. When they were at uni still, because I remember going and playing okay. in Manchester, and they were in in uni, I think. Right, and then like they that. came along. And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember playing somewhere, and they were there. And mm, um, really it, early. It was yeah. So, so um, yeah. So they did a few other tracks on Bingo over the years. They did some drum and bass, and just out of interest, did you have? Did you feel that they would go on to achieve what they've gone on to achieve at that point? Were you like, you know what, these kids are really. Um, I've really got something special. Or was well, it more like I don't think not yes or no. Really, I didn't have any. Ah. You know, I'm I, I'm uh, I wouldn't say thick, but I think I'm. I don't really. I just don't really think. I just don't really clock stuff like that. I'm more. I, I'm I'm more sort of. Uh, I hear the track and I think oh, I like that track. I put it out. Yes. I'm not really. I, I'm not. I, I don't really have a crystal. I'm not a sort of person that well, nobody is does. good at good at good at plan. Shoot from the hip. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not so good at planning and all that sort of stuff. I'm more like just do just do just crack but, but what, you know what? what? Like your successive successes though, you know, have have shown some of that though, because you know the way, like yeah, a bit of a weird bonus track, whatever. You and suddenly that track was incredibly exactly. So that shows even in your own world, you don't necessarily know what is going to blow no. up. Right? And you know, I find you know more recently working, you know, when or over the years when I've worked with labels. There's there's two different approaches, and one of them that I like is make a load of tunes, put them out, let people decide what's what. Yep. You know, if a tune's good, it's people are going to play it, and it will do all right. Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. other approach is make a load of tunes, and then the people you're working with, let's work out which one we think is the best one. Mm. Then we're really going to push that one. Mm. And I find that is a little less genuine. Mm. I prefer to just. I'd, I'd rather you know. I love the the way now you can with the internet you can just make a tune, and when you're happy with it, you put it on SoundCloud, give it yep. away. I think great. I love it. But mm. the business people that I work with don't always think it's so great. No. But, <laughs> but I, you know, for me, as you know, I, I look at it um, as art, and I think that mm. putting money with art is is uh, not a particularly good thing. Mm. Um, I think it's hard to. Uh, but artists have to live. Yeah, though, exactly. Yeah. So, and if you, and if you if you if you said to me, well, you know, do you want to play at the club and? You can either we'll give you your bus fare or we'll give you a a, a big fee. I'll take the big fee because you know mm. uh, I I just will. You know that's, that's mm. uh, how I am. So mm. I'm not I'm not saying that. And how everybody is. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't I'm not, you know I don't feel bad about that, but I know that that's basically how it works. But I do get a sense of I really do like giving music away, and I do find that I, I really noticed when there was the transition between you know like when it was vinyl, we press it up when we want. We release it when we want. You mm. can have it when we say you can have it. Mm. And then with the with the internet, people are you know if if something gets played on the radio, somebody will rip it. Somebody will put it on YouTube. If you if anybody wants to hear it, they can. Yep. They can get it. And so all of a sudden, the power's gone from the labels to the to the public to the public, to decide which is great. I think you know I which I love. You know right. I think is 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 ninety percent good. 
just making music and releasing it basically. and seeing what happens and seeing what happens and letting the you know letting if something's going to be successful let people I think people are the best judges really you know the only the only hard thing nowadays is actually getting it to people's ears to let them choose mm. what is uh, what they like but mm. um, yeah so anyway at the time Chase and Status I mean it was clear that they were good producers yep. but I wasn't I, I would have I would have had no uh, inkling that they mm. were going to go on to do what they did um, and it's been really uh, impressive and inspirational watching them do that, you know. But they're they're not the only ones, right? That have come through and gone on to do, uh, yeah, really uh, big things. So you did you sign Sigma as well? Yeah, um, yeah. I released some of their music. I wouldn't say I signed them because I, you know, in you know, I think that that you like I know you Nick have had labels where you sign artists mm. you develop them you mm. you do this sort of stuff. With me, I was more like I like that tune. Can I put it out? Mm. Really. Uh, much more basic uh, less thought out less considered <laughs> but approach in, but in doing that you helped to incubate these people which is which yeah, is really I'm, important I, I like the way you're on my side here Eddie um, <laughs> but uh, yeah it's, it's a different it's a different sort of approach I think yes. I don't know if it's that I lack the organisation to sign people and develop them and, and do mm. that but or it's just that I just like that particular track they think and I think I'd like you know I, I would like to put it out yep. there's, a, there's a sort of ego thing of like I want it to be on my label so there was a few yep. times where there were other labels that wanted to put stuff out and it was I thought I want it I want it you know yeah. uh, and a lot of time I'd hear stuff and I think I really like this and it's, I'm not sure if other people will get a chance to hear it if I don't release it so I'll release yeah. it because I like it so mm. there's, a, you know, there's, a, there's an element of, uh, of both uh, in that so yeah I, I put out some, uh, some Sigma stuff and you know when similarly early stages yeah, for them and, right and, uh, were yeah, they probably at uni I, as well they're probably at leeds weren't they yeah I don't jason know, status at manchester yeah. um i guess I, I do remember thinking that these guys are similar to chasing status mm. um mm. that's the only sort of thing i i, I thought at the time was yes and you're right yeah similar kind of thing they've they've smart you know, intelligent smart yeah um engaged. yeah so They've done well. Yeah. And so um, I was releasing some Chasing Status stuff, some Sigma stuff. Around about 2005, 2006, I started to get a bit bored with drum and bass. So, mm. yeah. So what, what was going through your mind then? What, what, what well, led to that? What was going thinking? through my mind? You know, we, when we were talking about um, early jungle and, you know, Nick was saying about breakbeats, where we'd come from, all this stuff. The early jungle music the, and the rave stuff, every, every, everybody that was making this music had come from somewhere else. Some of them come from hip hop. Some of them come from ragga. Some of them come from uh, classical music. Some of them come from different stuff. But every but because jungle hadn't existed, they nobody had already come from it. So everybody bought different uh, samples, different vibes, different all this different stuff. But when it got to a point that drum and bass was basically self-referencing mm -hmm. for me, it just I, I it didn't have that same thing anymore. It just mm. lost some uh, something. Mm. And every track. You know, at the time, I remember arguing with some people about it, and pretty much every track that came along was a slightly better produced version of something that had already been done. Mm. And I remember, you know, some of the people that we've been talking about today having the conversation with them, and somebody we were just talking about, who I can't say the name of because we were talking about off air, but I remember him saying, I made this track because I wanted to play so and so, but it's not good enough quality. So I just basically did my own new version of it. And then that new version was a massive track. And it's just that I, he happened to tell me about that, that I know about it. But that's how it kind of felt with a lot of drum and bass. It was a lot of it sounded like a slightly better version of something I've heard before. There wasn't any, the progression or the sort of weird, the, the sort of left field 
bits and pieces that would that would come and so it's sort of eating itself exactly, up it's the, the snake was eating its own yeah. tail exactly yeah, yeah. so okay. so the people that had, that were making it had now grown up on it and yeah. so you know i think if you look at um, Pendulum, they had come from rock. So they were another one like where Optical came along and he kicked everyone up the arse. Pendulum came along and kicked everyone mm. up the arse mm. with, with a new sort of sonic, this new sound. And um, and I really like that. You know, I love that. But there there seemed to be with drum and bass around about 2005, 2006, that it was getting a bit samey for me. Mm. And so I said to my agent, can you... I, I said, I want to see if I can start playing a mixed set. And uh, he was like... You're brave, you're brave, Ben. Okay, <laughs> so I said, can you can you put together a tour where I play some uh, house, some breakbeats, some dubstep, and some drum and bass all in one set? And this was 2006. when drum and bass, when dubstep was just starting. Yeah. And so he said, yeah, I'll do it. So so I got this tour, <clears throat> and he put this tour together. And when I, you know, in in practice, it didn't really work because people didn't want to hear different music in the same night at that time in the clubs that I was playing nowadays they do and mm. you know people like Annie Mac came along and she did a great job of mixing it up and now and you know I think it was just a bit too early mm. for that because the people would, that were into drum and bass just wouldn't dance till the end and the people that were into house would dance and then they'd stop when mm-hmm. when it changed it just didn't work at the time I, it worked for me I thought this is great this is yeah. really, all this music mixed up and I'm going to go I'm going to build it up in speed and it's going to be like really cool and people were just like Sorry, mate. We we only like this. It's pretty depressing, isn't it, to well, hear it, that? Because I love going to a night that that covers multiple sort of music bases. If it, there's good music and there's bad music, it's... I think yeah. This is this is more a time when people would be into one thing, though. You know, and I remember when from when I was buying records, it, it's, you had to spend a lot of time and money following one scene. You couldn't follow four or five. Mm. So. Um, Anyway, so, so it didn't, yeah, it didn't I came to really. Do, it didn't really. It didn't really yeah. work. Okay. No, I need to hear the violin. <laughs> Shed a little tear. Um, mm, but anyway, mm, so, mm. but a couple of weeks before I was going to do this tour, I thought, right, I'm going to do this tour where I'm going to play a mix of music. Better buy some house to play that I like. Went on to Beatport, couldn't find any house. I thought I want to hear stuff like. You know, like like UK Garage, but so it's got bass lines, house, mm. bit funky, you know, but sort of the UK element. And I just couldn't find it. I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, I used to listen to this music in the 88, 89, 90, where there was, it was 4-4, there was bass lines, there was samples or whatever, you know, it existed then, but I just mm. couldn't find it at all. So I did this tour, but what it, that put in my head was I, I thought there is I want to hear house with bass lines in it and, and so and not 4-4 four, four, something with a bit yeah, of a rolling yeah, beat yeah and you know. yeah for like 4-4 four, four though but 4-4 four, four with bass lines or 4-4 four, four with a break beat yeah on it but not necessarily two step so um, yeah so I started doing so so then I, I took a year off and it coincided with when my uh, eldest kid was it was the year before he went to school I took a year off so I thought I'll hang out with my kid for a year and I'll stop making, you know, I'll, I'll have a break from music, from, from DJing, so that I can then start this new era, uh, you know, this sort of new um, era, yeah. Mm. So, mm. so yeah, in that in that year that I was, uh, I said to my agent, I'm going to, this is the agent that said I was brave for doing the <laughs> thing. I was like, right, and this is the next brave thing I'm going to do. I'm going to stop playing drum and bass. I'm going to take a year off. And when I start again, I'm going to play music of a scene that doesn't exist yet. 
And he was like, okay, fucking hell, you really are brave this time, mate. <laughs> wow. You're jumping off a cliff and you don't know where you're going to land, but you're going <laughs> to... So, this was your agent covering yourself in petrol yeah. and lighting a match. <laughs> he was, you know, he, I've got a different agent now who she's who's really good. No, <laughs> Maybe but, that was what happened. <laughs> he obviously set fire to himself. No, but, you know, like credit to him, he, he smashed it. He absolutely smashed it. He said, great. You know, he rubbed his hands together. Because I said to him, I'm a bit bored of drum bass. He's like, I know what you... You know, he's, he wasn't like, I know what you mean, but he was like, I understand. Yeah. yeah, you know he 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 totally understood what I was uh, saying, and he was like, "Great challenge, let's go." You know, let's let's rock the boat a bit. And so, um, so I took a year off, and when I started DJing again, I started playing house. I was playing house with with bass mm. lines, and um, it was an interesting time. I remember in within the year that I took off, um, I remember hearing the Crookers Essential Mix, and. In within it, there was this. There was a Jack Beats remix of AC Slater. Jack got jacked, yep. and that track was like to me, it was exactly what I was thinking. I was like, "This is fucking unbelievable." Mm. And so I phoned up one of the scratch perverts, Joel, and like I, you know, I, I, I talked to him on the phone now and again. I'm speaking to him, I'm like, "Mate, I've listened to this song. It's fucking amazing. Check it out. Played it. You know, I'm playing it down the phone to him, and he's like." Yeah. Do you know who made that? I'm like, no, no, no. He's like, it's fucking Neil, Neil. Yeah. from the other scratch firm. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's like a really strange coincidence, but a really nice one. So then, you know, I phoned up Niall. Niall was really, I phoned Niall, I'm like, fucking, I can't believe you've done this tune, mate. This is amazing. And he was like, yeah, great. You know, there's this, there's this sort of new sound, isn't there? And so luckily, I wasn't the only person in the world who was a lot thinking on this lines of like 125, 130 Bass, you know, mm-hmm. bass lines, stuff. So then, excuse me, so I started DJing again in 2009, playing house with bass. And um, there was, you know, there, it was a bit tricky at first, but there was a there was some really good signs. Yeah. There was a couple of times when I, you know, the first, the first gig I did, which was at Moles in Bath, I was like two records in and this bloke leans over the counter. He's like, what the fuck is this, man? And um, he's like, right, ragged looking dude with like half a beard and his hair was all over the place. Looked like he'd just come off of a farm or something. And he was like, what the fuck is this? What, what is this, man? So I said, oh, this is what I play now. And he's like, this is fucking shit, man. Where's your drum and bass? This is fucking shit. And I was like, I'm sorry, mate. This is this is what I play now. You know, so I was a bit like, fucking hell, this is, it wasn't quit the intro that I had in mind. I'm playing roles tomorrow. Watch out for that guy. (laughs) So I I, I was thinking, this isn't exactly the intro I had in mind, but you know, fuck it. You know, I'd crack on. And then about 10 minutes before the end of a set, I'd done one track called uh, Killer Sound and it had been played on radio a little bit. And uh, this really attractive young woman come up to me and goes, have you played Killer Sound yet? So I said, uh, no. She said, I fucking love it. I can't believe it. It's amazing. It's like totally different sound. I love it. It's great. And I thought... Bristol accent. Oh, Bath accent, yeah. Oh, I, thought, <laughs> I thought, thank you. Thank you, God. Or, <laughs> yeah. or you know, or, or, or whatever, you know, thank you, universe. Whatever it is. Yeah. That was a really nice sign that the dude that is a bit weird doesn't like it. And the chick that's really cool does yeah. like it. Yeah. And so... There was a there was quite a few things like that when people were you know the the sort of some people were like oh this is fucking what are you doing you're a fucking traitor this is shit and then within the same hour there'd mm. be uh, the somebody else would be like this is fucking amazing I've never heard anything like it yeah. without conflict amazing without conflict there is no progress yeah exactly. so yeah so it was a bit tricky when I did that um, and uh, I did these crack house CPs I was with Dynamite in a, in a Japan and this is. 
before I did my first house gig, uh, I, I went and played in Japan with Dynamite, and um, I was saying like, we've got to say something. I'm, I, you've got to intro it. Let people know that I'm not playing drum and bass. I'm going to play house, and I ended up playing. You know, I played some junk, some jungle in that set, but. I was saying we need to we were sitting in the bar before the, the gig and uh, I was saying we need to call it something we need to have a name that is like if you say house people think oh I know what that is and on the wall it said crack house and, I, and it, either he or me said how about crack house I was like yeah right cool fuck it <laughs> and so that was it so then he was like this is this is a new sound it's called crack house you know and it could have been some totally random thing if it had been something else yeah, yeah. on the wall it just happened to be that and um, yeah so then I started doing these crack house EPs and they're basically, you know, uh, eight tracks or whatever of house with bass. And I remember when I was working on some of this stuff at first, um, the manager of a big house DJ coming to sit in my studio because 360, who are a big management company, were in the office above my studio. And this big manager, who's a really nice nice guy, you know, I really, really like him. He came and listened to some of the stuff I was working on and he was like, bass lines in house, mate. I just can't see it happening. Like, it's just, I can't see it. And then two or three years later, he was like, fucking hell, mate, you was fucking... Yeah, bass line Yeah, house I missed that huge, one. Yeah. yeah, and so, um, yeah, so one of the tracks I did was called Blunt Edge uh, and it was an instrumental track and it was called Blunt Edge because when I made it, uh, my management people said, it's all right, but it's not very cutting edge, is it? So I said, all right, I'll call it Blunt Edge then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, I, called, so I called it Blunt Edge and, it, and um, I put it out and it did pretty good. And then we decided to put Miss Dynamite on it. Mm. And so it became Wild Out. Uh, and so this is... DJ Zinc me featuring Miss Dynamite while out, aka Blunt Edge, because it's not very cutting edge. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. played one of the one of the greatest tracks ever made and there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, utterly utterly brilliant never ever get tired of that while out um zinc and dynamite big up and miss dynamite and yeah absolutely no, it, really. amazing <laughs> uh, absolutely amazing brilliant great example of take a track put a vocal on it and like take it to a totally another level yeah really she really smashed it, totally she? absolutely smashed it out of the park into, into another postcode Yes. Um, so, well, we've run out of time, uh, Ben. And dun, dun, yeah. Um, so, like, very quickly, like, what's on the what's on the horizon for you? You know, uh, you, um, you've always been ahead of the game. What, what's the next game? Um, currently, I uh, have the stuff I've got lined up at the minute. Um, I guess it will depend on when this is going to be broadcast. But the stuff yeah. that I'm, uh, as we're recording this, uh, working on, I've got a track coming out with a guy called Boy uh, Boy Matthews. And the track's called This Time, which is house with bass still. So it's, kind of got, it's got a breakbeat in it as well. So where my head is at right now at the start of 2016 is, um, is, is breakbeats again, basically. Mm-hmm. I've been doing the house for a while. I've been starting to introduce breakbeats more into what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, you know, it's, I like breakbeats. I really do like breakbeats. You know, there's just something about it. There's, just, there's a life in it. You know, I could, 
are you uh, make stuff like that you know while out is all drum machines and there's i don't there's not any breakbeat in it i don't think there's there's a few sample percussion stuff but when i get back when i start making when i start using breakbeats again there's something about it that i love you know you're you're sort of dragging this thing from another era it's like a time machine you're bringing this thing that's just got soul it's like the the analog equipment it just has this soul that you just can't you know it's got the soul of the, the geezer who's playing the drums it's but essentially i guess that's what it is yeah you're you're you know it is it's, it's got this thing this sound this thing that i just love i can't get you know i'll never tire of it i love it i just and, love and it's it. the wheel turning full circle because that's where your soul is that's where this whole oh. conversation started yes yeah. on break beats, beats, it was, yeah. was just the- exactly yeah so 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 i'm still you know i was in the studio today working on a track with two breakbeats in it and i just i love it i think you know sometimes i think fucking one trick pony or, you know Am I never going to progress to anything? You know, am I, you know, I, I listen to new, you know, a lot of new music and I, I like it. And then I go in the studio and do something that sounds like it could have been made 20 years ago or 30, you know, years and years ago, 20 years ago. And, um, but I like it. And I think I'm just going to do what I like. I, yeah. I, 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 you know, when I was, when I was making music, I think, you know, maybe in the, in the late nineties, sometimes I tried to make tracks to, that would fit in with certain DJ sets. And what I found is actually when I thought sod that, I'm just going to make something for myself. That's the one that will work, that people always, that, that, that always, yeah. that, that always works basically. So, yeah, um, that's perfect yeah, motivation. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and I tell you what, it's such an easy thing as well. It's like when I play, when I'm in a club, I think, what should I play? I play what I would want to hear. When I'm on radio, what should I play? What I would want to hear if I turn the radio on. What should I go in the studio? What should I make? What I would want to receive. You know, the, what a great motivation for making tunes is going through promos and thinking, fucking can't find anything I like. Go and make it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I don't know. In some ways, it's kind of limiting because it's, it's, it's going to be continually just doing the same thing. But I love it, you know, and it, and it works and it's, 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 it's the real me and it's yeah and you're it, still you're like still it. you're still shooting from the hip aren't you yeah, you're I'm still happy. that super, I'm super sharp shooter you're, you're you know you're, you're following your gut you're such exactly. a gut <laughs> yeah you know player aren't you yeah and um, you know I, I've been doing interviews for years and years and years and what I've always said you know people always said what have you got coming up and what are you going to be doing and what do you hope for the next year and what I've always what I, I've always said but only recently realised what it means I, what I always used to say is if I'm doing this this time next year I'll be over the moon and I and it always I thought like it's because I'm worried that I'm going to be going back to the crappy office. But actually, what it means is I'm happy right now. And if I'm I am happy now, I'm not waiting for something else to happen, and mm. then I'll be happy. It's like today I was in the studio all day, see my kids, hang out. I just I, I just love it, and and I have been like that for as long as I you know since I've been doing this as a job. And so um, yeah, I you know it is it, it's great what I do. So I think I'm happy. So why not why fuck with it? Just go and make some more tunes that. The old one here. Well, what a trailblazer. Well, we, we've got to finish off with the way that we finish off um, every one of these interviews on Trailblazers, which is, uh, might be a tough one for you. Might be a tough one for you. So the aliens have landed and they've gone, you know, we're, we're, we're building some kind of super highway and we're deciding whether to blow up this planet or that yeah. one over there. So I've got to provide them with a bit of culture that, that yeah. shows so it worthwhile you, as a yeah. What would you as a, as a planet? Exactly. What would you give them? What would you give them that the, that you think might save the world? Um, you know what I would play? It's my favourite track of all time, which is Amy Winehouse. Love is a losing game. It's because mm. the strings in the end they just kill me. The strings. In the, the original end. or the Moody Boys remix? No, come on, man. <laughs> the the original, and it's it's uh, it's just the strings at the end. Oh unbelievable and i think if any aliens decided to blow us up then fuck them really i mean 
What do they know? <laughs> I don't really want to hang about if, they, uh, if they're not into that. Okay. Fair enough. Amy Winehouse, lovely way to end. Trailblazers, DJ Zinc. Originals. Trailblazers. Thanks for your ears. We hope you enjoyed Trailblazers. Uh, we love your feedback. So if you want to get in touch with either of us, you can reach out to me via Twitter at EddieTM. That's E double D Y T M. Or you can reach out to myself, Nick Hawks, N I C K. H-A-L-K-E-S on uh, Twitter or Facebook. And remember, we've just given you a taste of the the great music that uh, shaped the journey of our special guest today. Uh, If you want to hear music in full, head over to Deezer.com and you can find special Trailblazers playlists that Eddie and I put together and some special stuff from our guests. And bear in mind that if you enjoyed this stuff on Trailblazers, you'll definitely enjoy the curated playlists that happen on Deezer. Just download the app for free and search for Trailblazers or head to the dance section where you'll find a playlist for just about any genre you can think of in dance. Trailblazers. Thank you so much to DJ Zinc for joining us. And next time on Trailblazers, the legendary Renard van der Papillera. Deezer. Deezer. Originals.